What's the easiest and most straightforward way to start playing role-playing games after many years away from the table? And if we're playing already, but want to make the jump towards being Game Master, what's the simplest path? Is there a way to make our first games so likely to succeed that we can overcome any anxiety that stands in the way? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Welcome back to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost role-playing games hobby. I'm Che Webster, and today I want to continue my series of thoughts loosely connected together as an anxious GM's guide to fantasy role-playing. I've talked about my own experiences of anxiety, and over the past three years collected many stories from others about the desire to return to the table being clouded by worries that it might not work out. While it's true to say that all creative and playful activities are inherently uncertain and unpredictable, and perhaps the very source of the anxiety we might be feeling, it's worth asserting first that creativity, finding our way into unfamiliar territory and learning to find our feet, all hold the possibility of not working out. That being said, the history of role-playing games gives us a hugely encouraging model for getting started in a way that is very hard for the returning or neophyte game master to screw up. There is a reason why fantasy, especially as expressed through the Dungeons & Dragons game, is the world's most popular genre. There's a reason why dungeons are prevalent and common tropes in fantasy role-playing, and there's a reason why the earliest games were played in an open and very fluid style. In short, it's because it's easy to set up, easy to run, and hard to screw up. This is Season 11, Episode 4, Fantasy Dungeons and the Open Table. Dungeons & Dragons burst into the wargaming scene in 1974, presenting a particularly innovative way to play. It caught on quickly, not only among wargamers, but spreading swiftly into the science fiction fandom communities across the United States. By the end of the decade, D&D was a household name and attracting hordes of pre-teen enthusiasts from across the world, of which I was one, starting to play sometime just before 1980. Original Dungeons & Dragons presented a set of rules for playing in the fantasy genre, albeit a more generously defined fantasy than we are perhaps used to from the halls of genre fiction 50 years later. The game showed us how to prepare and present, quote, a campaign of adventures in the mazy dungeons, end quote, beneath the earth, pitting hapless adventurers against the dangers that lurk in the underdark. The game was also set up in a very open fashion, leading the Alexandrian to coin the idea of an open table. Anyone could show up tonight to play, each group might have different characters, and the goal was to survive an expedition into the dungeon. Next time, you could play a game, or not, but the party composition would likely have changed. 
Thus, the original format of what would eventually become known as fantasy role-playing was described thus. Adventures in a fantasy world, exploring underground dungeons, and played in a fluid style. It worked in 1974, is arguably the biggest reason why D&D took off and has led the market for most of the past 50 years, and is therefore worthy of your consideration as you return to play. Fantasy is easy to grok. The tropes that D&D immortalised, of the fighter, the wizard, the cleric, and later, the thief, have become embedded in popular culture. Anyone who has ever played a computer RPG has come across these core tropes. The same is true of exploring mazy dungeons, seeking treasure, and facing monstrous creatures in the depths. Swords and armour, binary, simplistic morality, and heroic action, these have become mainstays of modern culture. Fantasy role-playing is the most popular genre by a wide margin. Yes, you can find horror and science fiction rubbing shoulders with superheroes in the mainstream, but most people who play have played at least a little fantasy along the way. This makes for a good reason to start with fantasy, because you are much more likely to find willing gamers to join you. It's also hard to screw it up, because it's also familiar, and you can simply lean into the tropes and keep things very simple from the get-go. Grabbing a copy of Dungeons & Dragons, the current 5th edition of the rules, will guarantee you an audience. To begin, downloading the free basic rules from the wizards.com website will give you everything you need to play for quite some time. You don't even need to buy a cool rulebook, because the basic rules has the classic character classes, fighter, wizard, cleric and rogue, as well as classic fantasy species, such as elves and dwarves. There are monsters and treasures to seed your first adventures, plus guidance, of the first few levels of character progression. The only thing modern D&D really lacks as published is solid methodological guidance on how to run the dungeon game. The other mainstream assumption embedded is the idea of the dedicated table, a game where you and your friends commit to play long-term with the same characters in the same fictional world with a goal of creating an emergent narrative. While most players and GMs seem to find their way into the game quite well in the modern game, there are some basic tools you can learn to use which reduce the uncertainty of getting started. In short, you can learn to run a dungeon crawl scenario and you can begin with an open table. The dungeon crawl is the term that has become attached to the idea of adventures delving into a hole in the ground in search of treasure. It's the oldest scenario structure in the hobby and was almost universally utilised by game masters throughout the history of RPGs. As the Alexandrian writes, quote, There are two questions which every game designer and GM must ask themselves. One, what do the characters do? Two, how do the players do it? These questions might seem deceptively simple, but the answers are complex, and getting the right answers is absolutely critical to having a successful gaming session. The dungeon crawl answers these questions simply. What do the characters do? They explore the dungeon looking for treasure. How do the players do it? They pick an exit and use it. As a player, it's easy to know what to do next. If you're in a room or passageway, you can search for treasure. If you have no other ideas where you are right now, you can pick a direction, whether a door or passageway or hatch or whatever, and move to the next location. 
Challenges along the way can be overcome, such as when you meet a monster and decide to either fight it or leg it. As a GM, the dungeon crawl is incredibly easy to set up and run. You draw and key a map of the dungeon, you sprinkle in some challenges, most notably in the form of monsters and traps, you add adventurers. To quote the Alexandrian, in fact it's virtually impossible for even a neophyte GM to screw up the design of a dungeon crawl. What's he going to do? Forget to draw an exit from the room? End quote. More than that, however, as the Alexandrian points out, the ease of running this type of scenario quote, extends beyond the macro structure of the dungeon crawl and begins to depend on the D&D rule set itself, but in general, any action proposed by the players within the dungeon will usually have a self-evident method of resolution. The dungeon crawl also firewalls the adventure into discrete chunks, the individual rooms, which can generally be run as small, manageable packets. Collectively, these mean that even the first-time DM can reliably design and run a dungeon crawl without leaving either A, their players stymied, or B, themselves confused. This is huge. Thanks to the dungeon crawl, D&D can reliably create new DMs in a way that most other RPGs can't and don't. End quote. The real beauty of the dungeon crawl as a starting point, however, is that it is not a straitjacket. There is a clear structure, but you are free to put anything you like into that structure. You can even use the structure with different genre elements. The dungeon crawl can be utilised when exploring any location with multiple rooms and connecting passages. Space stations, starships, haunted houses, underground spy complexes anywhere. It doesn't matter if the challenges are in the form of goblins or stormtroopers. The traps can be poison darts or trash compactors. The form is adaptable and reskinnable. Once you learn to run a dungeon crawl, you can run any location-based adventure, and that's why it's known as a scenario structure. Putting this scenario structure alongside the micro structure of the combat, and you've got a complete gaming experience. The goal is to find treasure, the players know what to do, pick an exit, go to the next location, search for treasure, and you can add challenges with ease. Follow the map, describe the situation, adjudicate the decisions, repeat. We know this works because it's been around since the beginning. As an anxious gamer, you can give it a go and be pretty certain your friends will have a good time. You only need the core rules of D&D to pull it off. Game on. If you really want a top-notch primer on how to set up the Dungeon Crawl game, investing a few bucks in the DM's Guild, aka DriveThruRPG, on either the OD&D Book 3 Guide or, even better, the Beckme B-E-C-M-I, Basic Sets DM Book, this will see you into a very good beginning. Which just leaves discussing the strengths of the open table. One of the big influences of the Alexandrian on my thinking over the past three or four years came through his Open Table Manifesto. For our purposes today, what it boils down to is running a classic fantasy mega dungeon game, which is open to whomever is interested and available for each individual gaming session. It's the opposite of a dedicated table. As the Alexandrian points out, the dedicated table is demanding. Quote, the way that most people play RPGs today... They have a regular group of five or six people who plan to all get together on a regular or semi-regular basis for 10 or 20 or more four to eight hour sessions. That level of commitment 
can result in truly amazing things, but that mode of play also comes at a cost. Part of that cost can be personal. Lots of people talk about how they can't play RPGs anymore because they just don't have the time to commit to them. Another part of that cost comes from the incredible difficulty of inviting new players to join your game. End quote. The proposal is to run games in an alternative style, analogous to the pick-up nature of playing catch to learn baseball or taking part in a schoolyard game of football. An open table was how I opened the school gaming club at my last school. The students could drop in, roll up a character, dive into the mega dungeon for a couple of hours and then come along next whenever they wanted. The table quickly grew to having about 15 to 18 players with maybe 6 or 7 in each session. The great thing about open tables is that anyone can play at them. My current interested players for the open table are all online, but there is nothing stopping players more local to me from picking up some characters and entering play as a separate group. Once you have the infrastructure of the dungeon crawl scenario in place, it's trivial to prep and run a session anytime. This is, as the Alexandrian points out, exactly how many of us used to play back in the day. Quote, to understand what I mean, let me cast your thoughts back to that time when I used to game all the time. Lunch hour or any other snatcher-free time would roll around and we'd pull out our D&D manuals and our character sheets. One of us would volunteer to DM and that guy would grab whatever dungeon he was currently working on or he had just read through and we would start playing. Eventually, lunch hour would come to an end and we'd pack up our things and the next time we played, we'd either continue exploring that same dungeon or we'd start exploring some other dungeon, possibly with a completely different DM. Maybe we'd use the same characters, maybe we'd have rolled up a new character or feel in the mood to play somebody else from our stable. Whatever worked, we did it, end quote. On a practical level, what this approach does is make scheduling less of a problem. Rather than wrangling about who can or cannot attend the sessions, the GM instead sends out a message to anyone interested and says, we're playing on, say, Friday, anyone interested? As the prep is the same each time, the setup is quick and simple and the players don't need to be consistent, well, it takes a lot of pressure off everyone. To make it work, you need six things. Quick character generation, easy access systems, open group formation, default goal, default action, and regenerative or extensible content. If you're starting out, pre-gen characters can work fine. For D&D, grab some from the starter set or download free examples from wizards.com. Hand them out and get playing. Yes, players love to make their own characters, but this is a quick and easy way in. Don't sweat over the character creation rules until you feel more confident. Stick to the basics of play. Again, D&D basic rules are ideal for this because the core mechanism of rolling 1d20, adding a bonus and beating a target number is easy to learn. Deducting hit points is also quick to grasp. The rest will come as you play. Don't get bogged down with encumbrance. Stick to low-level play. Reference spells as you need them. Just get playing. Play in an open table style. Have the characters enter the dungeon and tell them that they need to get out before session time expires. This means that each session can run discreetly, and it doesn't matter if players and or characters change each session. This open formation of group, as opposed to the more common dedicated crew, will make running a game easier and allow you to tweak the dungeon between sessions. The dungeon crawl gives you the default goal and the default action. What do the characters do? They explore the dungeon looking for treasure. How do the players do it? They pick an exit and use it. The last point is crucial. Use regenerative and or extensible content. 
Dungeons are great for this because you can easily reuse the dungeon map, restocking rooms or shifting challenges around between sessions. And you can also easily add more dungeon to the map, new levels in the traditional style or extensions to existing areas. Knock a hole in a wall, sketch in and key the new area and Bob's your auntie's living lover. For more information on open tables, visit thealexandrian.com. I'll stick links in the show notes. And that's my suggestion for how to get back to playing role-playing games. Choose a classical fantasy game world, build a dungeon, and run the game as an open table. Keep it light and breezy, as relaxed as you can be. Don't sweat the rules, keep to the basics. Build things up as and when you feel ready. By choosing the tried and tested approach that began our hobby, you are learning the basic GM tools you'll need to be able to get a little more adventurous down the line. In my own gaming, I recently began a new open table game using the classic AD&D 2nd edition rules set in my fantasy world of Horaeth. We've had about a dozen sessions with three sessions of play involving a single mega dungeon site. I'm running the second classical scenario structure, the hex crawl, alongside my dungeon crawl basics. But to be honest, we're not really operating the hex crawl scenario quite yet. It's been just fine to describe journeys to the dungeon sites. The players have investigated three discrete dungeons so far and then focus on exploring them. What do the characters do? They explore the dungeon looking for treasure. How do the players do it? They pick an exit and use it. How am I running AD&D? Just keeping character creation brief, sticking to the cool rules and dropping in challenges that I feel comfy using. I have stolen maps and even some keys from products I own, all of which has lowered my stress levels and made the whole thing more fun and quicker to prepare. If you want to know more, check out the Roleplay Rescue blog at roleplayrescue.com where I have posted some notes. Alternatively, patrons of the show have ready access to our Discord discussion group and can freely drop into the Horaeth open table anytime I run a session. And that's it. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. As you know, I love to hear from you. If you've got a question or comment, then please hop on over to speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue where you can leave a 90-second message. That's speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash roleplayrescue. Alternatively, hop over to the blog at roleplayrescue.com and press the button at the top right, which will take you right there. As ever, I'll stick the links in the show notes. Anyway, a selection of messages today, all of which come from players in an early session of my Horaeth game before I switched to AD&D 2nd Edition and while using the old school essentials rules. The point of sharing these messages isn't to big up my jamming chops. Rather, it's an illustration of how much fun playing in an open table with rules out of sight behind the screen, so to speak, can enrich our role-playing experience. Thanks to all these guys for calling in. This is also probably a good time to say I had a great time on the Saturday game, the OSC, you know, behind the screen, whatever we're calling it, game. I I probably experienced more immersion in that game than any other game as far as I, I was probably more in fear for my character's life. On the stairs, the, the one creature took a swipe at me and I described, you know, dropping to the ground and trying to roll away. And I, I think I had more of a feeling of butterflies in my stomach at that time than in any other role-playing game so i i think the system works i i think now mind you i think i'm not saying specifically with osc 
but I think the pulling everything behind the screen works as advertised. And I had a great time. I'm glad we had to talk about it afterwards. And I'm excited to keep trying it. I don't know if it's the only way I ever want to play, but I really enjoyed it and definitely would like to try that again sometime. Aloha, Che. It's Brian calling from way down here in the Queensland, where thankfully we're getting a little bit cooler weather, which is nice. Uh, I feel bad. I have not called in. I meant to call in last week. I don't know what happened. Uh, But anyway, yeah, I echo Adam and Jason. I think the game was fantastic. I should have called you sooner because, yeah, it really was. So um, to be honest, I was just looking for a good time, you know, gaming with you guys, especially given all the time differences. And it was immersive. It was intriguing, kind of like Jason said, you know, the fear of death. I'm not sure if I had the fear of death, but I felt the stakes were maybe a little bit higher. I mean, I felt, and that probably, I think is an effect of the immersion, that each encounter was a little bit, I'd say trickier, or we were careful about it. So I think I noticed that our interaction in particular, the three of us, we spent, in my my perception is we spent more time really being careful about the exploration, really being careful about our intents. And I know that in a lot of other games, even if you've got a group like that, it's pretty easy to default to character sheet, skill list, rolling. So here are some thoughts on the rule set and you know what's behind the screen, what's not behind the screen. I, I will say, even though I knew it was old school essentials and that helped me a little bit just get my head around character and how the game would play, I did try to not think too much about how the roles and rules would work based on, you know, what actions we wanted to take. So I feel all that was fine. And and truth be told, even, even knowing the rule set, um, I didn't really have a problem basically letting you handle all that part. Um, you know, and, and, I didn't feel that there was ever a time I was trying to gamify it, but maybe as I said before, I was, I was really looking forward to this just to play. So I'm good with that. Um, I do think, and I would be interested if you ran something like dungeon fantasy behind the screen, um, even knowing that's what it was to be honest, actually any type of groups. Cause I've said before, I just never really had the chance to get exposure, get into it. And in some ways, this to me is an intriguing way to get into it because I could start playing and not care as much about the mechanics. And then after the game kind of reflect on that immersive experience and then go learn more about the system, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that would work pretty well, at least from my perspective. So anyway, cheers, man. And all of that then led to Adam's call. I kind of switched it around with Brian's, but, um, during the end of the game session, we were having a conversation about rules behind the screen, and I'd expressed the view that I kind of feel D&D has you know, some limitations in terms of how I present the game. And that led Adam to kind of call in with, well, this. Hey, Che, it's Adam. Just wanted to say thank you for Sunday's game. I really enjoyed it. Uh, just listening to GM's Journal 132, where you're talking about hacking your own system together. I think it's a great idea. Um, You talked about it being overwhelming, but I'd challenge you almost just to do it over time rather than trying to do it all at once. Um, You could 
start with the base, say OSE, pick a couple of the things that you don't like too much, like long rounds, and just swap about for a rudimentary second-by-second second round or that kind of mechanic, and then you can kind of build these tweaks over time. You can kind of soften uh, players having to deal with all these constant changes with the fact that the rules are behind the screen. Anyway, food for thought. Thanks. And that's kind of what's beginning to happen. I switched Hereth to AD&D 2nd Edition just because it had a little bit more detail and I felt a little bit more comfortable with it. Also, to be fair, I wanted to experiment with it. I've been wanting to play that for a very, 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 very long while. But the point is that, yeah, with the rules behind the screen and an open table game, I have quite a great platform for making tweaks to the rules on the one hand and kind of on the other hand, not mattering session by session too much if things don't work out because you can switch it back and that's largely because players are dropping in and out of sessions so actually the consistency level here is perhaps less important than it would be in a dedicated table and anyway I just wanted to thank Adam and Brian and Jason for calling and encouraging me in this direction you are completely responsible for the fact that Hareath took up as an open table game you're also responsible for the product of that which is this episode and so well, big thanks, guys. And yeah, Adam, I've already started tinkering, although it's very, very early stages. Big thank you once again for showing up and listening. And also a big thank you to the callers today. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Massive thank you to John from Tale of the Manticore, the creator of the Roleplay Rescue theme music and stingers. And also thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. All of your generosity helps to keep me going, keep me encouraged, keep me wanting to podcast. And I just thank you so much. That's it for this episode. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again next time. Game on.